Making It in the Toy Industry, episode number 35. Welcome to Making It in the Toy Industry, a podcast for inventors and entrepreneurs like you. And now your host, Ajel Wade. Before jumping into today's episode, I want to tell you all about something super special that I've got in the works. Now, this is for you if you're in love with learning with me on this podcast and you have an amazing toy or game idea that you want to create and monetize. In September, I will be opening the doors for you to register for my online digital course, Toy Creators Academy. Now, if you've already joined the email list, then you are ahead of the game and I can't wait to serve you when the doors open up. Toy Creators Academy is going to teach you how to develop your toy ideas and turn them into a toy business. So if you'd love a little more toy inspiration from me and a whole lot of guidance, then head over to toycreatorsacademy.com and join the early access list. If you're on that list, you are going to be among the first to know when the doors open and to top it all off, you are going to get the opportunity to join the course at an incredible rate that no one else will get, not even my regular toy coach insiders. So if you've got a few great toy ideas inside of you and you want to turn those ideas into a toy business, head over to toycreatorsacademy.com to learn even more. Okay, let's jump into the episode. Hey there, toy people, Ajel Wade here, and welcome back to another episode of Making It in the Toy Industry. This is a weekly podcast brought to you by thetoycoach.com. On today's episode, I am joined by Leticia Suarez. Now, Leticia studied industrial design at Montclair State University. She worked as a product designer for nine years, and five of those years she spent in the toy industry. Now, I found out in talking to Leticia that we're actually both vets from Toys R Us. Leticia worked there making baby toys and puzzle soft books and plush characters for the lines Bruin and Imaginarium. From there, she moved to Samsonite, where her journey into sustainability began. Leticia worked on developing Samsonite's first luggage collection made of recyclable materials called EcoNew. And currently, Leticia is a post-grad student at Brunel University in London, working on her Master's of Science in Entrepreneurship and Design. So today, Leticia is here to talk to us about sustainability and why it's not just about the materials, but also about defining a sustainable process and creating a circular economy. Now, what does that all mean? I'm just learning myself, so that's why we have Leticia here to explain it to us. Welcome to the show, Leticia. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to get started, why don't you talk to my listeners a little bit about what you're doing right now in London? You know, you left the U.S. and you moved on to get your uh, post-grad in London. So what are you doing right now? So the postgrad is based on sustainability, entrepreneurship, and design. And as you already mentioned, my background is in product design. Uh, so I'm trying to enhance some of the knowledge in sustainability and entrepreneurship. And right now, I'm in the process of doing my dissertation. Uh, the dissertation is a business model uh, based on circularity. 
and is aiming to solve the inefficiencies in the brewing production. And the idea is to do constant research and creative thinking and analyzing all the byproducts that, you know, beer brewing process creates. And so the idea is that by analyzing all the life cycle assessment of brewing, we can find like solutions. And then by finding the solutions, hopefully I can create a completely circular uh, business model where there is no waste. Wow. So you, you said the circular business model. What is that? What does that mean? <laughs> like, so, what is a circular economy you keep telling me about? <laughs> <laughs> so when we talk about circular economy, one of the things that you should also think is the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. They're the ones that put together the whole concept and started working with uh, industries in order to create the concept and see how they could apply this idea. So in simple image, uh, imagine a, lin- a line, a straight line, that will be the linear economy, right? So it's based on take, make, and waste. So what you put into the system, it becomes waste. Now think of a circle, right? So the idea is that what you take and make, you don't waste. You actually put it back into the system. And the idea is to keep products in the economy as long as possible. So we don't, you know, over extract natural resources from our planet. Wow. Okay. Got it. Now, when I, when I first reached out to you, I remember my very first question, um, and this was a question I actually got from a listener, and that's why I reached out to you, um, was what kind of materials are there um, that toy people can use or maybe should be using to make more sustainable products? Um, but you were saying it's not so much about the, pro- about the material, it's more about the process at which you make the toys. And that's what you're talking about with the circular process. Uh, Some truth to it. Of course, the materials are really important just because I wouldn't tell you, Oh yeah, use the most toxic materials. (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) The idea is that the materials that you pick are very, um, let's say they don't hurt the environment at the end of life in ideal perspectives. Right. So, for example, I don't know, we have a big problem with plastics, right? So only 9% of the world's plastic is recycled today. So the rest is just going to our ocean, our landfill, you know, everywhere. (laughs) So we're breathing and drinking microplastics pretty much every day. So you mentioned there are some really toxic materials. What are the best possible materials that maybe a toy person could be using today instead of plastics, maybe? So, I mean, uh, instead of plastics, we could go into thinking wood, of course. I mean, there are some good alternatives to, to wood, uh, like plant toys. They are already using uh, natural rubber wood from trees that are no longer producing latex. What's so a, wait, the, what's a rubber wood? Yeah, so it's just a tree and you yeah. extract the the wood, uh, you use the trees pretty much. Uh-huh. And the thing is they used to produce latex from those trees and then they ran out of the cycle of producing 
you know, enough for the production of latex. So what they do is they use that wood and which is a byproduct, let's say, of the latex industry. And then they use it for their toys. So those toys are painted with like water-based and natural dyes. And also they are using sawdust and they pressure mold it. So they can still use organic shapes instead of being so rigid, you know, as usually a wooden toy has, you know, that rigidity. So the rubber wood, the sawdust and the natural dyes you're talking about, we always talk about how being sustainable is more expensive. So do you have any idea about how much more expensive that process would be than just, you know, using plastics as we've always used them? I don't have like a specific percentage. Yeah. But for example, going back to plastics Uh (laughs) or evil (laughs) plastics, even though, you know, they're a great material, let's not take that away. But for example, with COVID-19, the crude oil prices went so low that now it's cheaper to just use virgin plastic versus recycle. So if I told you, oh, you should maybe incorporate uh, X amount of, you know, of recycled plastic into your products to make it a little more sustainable. Well, it might just increase your price just by picking that X amount of uh, percentage. Also, I mean, there is a lot of industries that are committing to using, for example, 25% of their plastics are recycled. So the demand for recycled resin is increasing. And there is not enough recycling happening. As I mentioned, it's only 9% of the world's plastics is recycled. So it's creating a big problem you know, right now. Even trying to recycle is creating a problem. Yes. Why do you think that so few, such a low percentage of people are recycling? It's not so much that few people are not recycling. The problem is that a recycling system is not designed to take that many materials. So for example, Mm. I think you are aware that China stopped taking the recycled materials from the u.s right so now all these recycled materials are just being incinerated or going to landfill because there is no capacity to take the recycling and process it oh wow we need more investment in the infrastructure to make recycling a more profitable business idea i guess maybe that's so interesting like maybe instead of companies I know there are a lot of Kickstarter campaigns that'll say eco-friendly product or eco-friendly this. Maybe it would make more sense if people start saying with every one of our sales, we're going to donate in, you know, to some organization or foundation in order to help build more recycling plants. Yeah, that could be. Also, like, again, going back to how do we design, we need to think circular. So who are the stakeholders the whole value chain and think okay if my aim is i mean again recycling should be your last resource when you're thinking on how to make it circular really before that you should think of okay can it be reused by someone else can it be refurbished 
you know, like there are other uh, steps before you get into recycling. Recycling should be your, it's an end of five technology pretty much. You know, I, a good friend of mine, actually, she had this school project where she um, proposed a toy recycling program. Um, and her concept was that when uh, one child is grows out of a toy, it would kind of, they would send it back into to a company. And then that company would send that toy to an, a younger child. And it was kind of like a, you know, you're kind of passing down toys and recycling them. Right. Um, but I've always wondered if that idea or the idea of thinking about how your product can be reused is also unsustainable because, you know, you need fuel and people to transport that product all over the world, you know, like what's a better option? Well, I think we can only think of, I mean, you're correct. The transportation to another country, that's crazy to, you know, the transport, <laughs> transportation is going to have a high carbon footprint. So, yeah, in theory, you, you want to find a solution that is local. So being local is also part of being sustainable, right? Because it's easier to uh, recuperate those materials and put them back into the system instead of, okay, I mean, just think of recycling. If we're sending it all the way to China, oh my God, like that's ridiculous. Like we should keep it in house. And also just keep in mind, for to make a product, you have to extract materials. So just the fact that you don't have to extract materials is saving you uh, resources, energy, water, you know, in all the production. So at the end, the idea of, yeah, keeping products alive is sustainable. How we do it, that's another question. But that's why sustainability is so complex. And we have to think of all the different participants you know and not just yeah. one one straightforward answer no yeah that's a great point it's a good thing to start thinking about because i feel like maybe as some of these small i i you know i meet a lot of small um inventors and toy companies you know they're just starting up but if they go into it and they're already um shipping very locally maybe they can start approaching their business from a more sustainable mindset and maybe they start thinking about directing their customers to do a certain thing with their product when they're done with it instead of just throw it away you know when your child outgrows this product send it back here to get some a rebate or to get something so that they can recycle it and put it back into the system instead of like like you're saying having to extract new materials yeah. So what, from your experience, I mean, you've been in the toy industry, you've been um, out at a luggage company trying to make sustainable materials. What do you think, just um, what do you think is the biggest challenge that the toy industry faces when trying to be more sustainable? Well, I think the biggest challenge is the short life cycle that the toys have. So, you know, they, they are designed for specific development ages. So, for example, toys targeted for infants and preschool usually just last for a few months or, you know, a few years. So, the shorter the product life cycle, the bigger the environmental impact. So, the toy industry must challenge the concept of ownership and think of a service 
alternative. So there are more sustainable solutions. So, so what I mean is perhaps you, you need to challenge, okay, what if, for example, you get just a service where you just get the toys that you need for that stage of the child's development instead of, okay, I'm going to buy a lot of toys for my kid. Like maybe it just circulates and actually doing research for this interview, I ran into a, a company that is called Toy Box Club and it's exactly what I'm just telling you. And Wait, say a, it again. What's it called? Toy Box Club. Toy Box Club. Yeah. So it's a monthly subscription and it's for preschool children. And so they deliver toys and books to your home every month. And then, you know, you subscribe as long as you want. And so it's great because first you don't have to store the toys in the garage <laughs> for... Do, do they take back the toys ever, like once they've outgrown them or is it just you keep them? No, they take them back. So it's a subscription for you to have the service of having the toys for your child while they are needing them. Because again, kids, you know, they grow so fast and their development is so fast that they just need right. certain toys for very little months or even years. So why not circulate, you know, those products instead of staying at your home where you just accumulate them? But then that's such a, what's a, what's what I'm wondering now is, you know, this is a similar concept to the idea that I told you my friend had, um, where you recycle toys that you outgrow, but how realistic is this to implement, to make sure that it's less of a carbon footprint than throwing out the toys because you don't know where your orders are going to come from. So how local do you have to get to be sustainable? Is it local to the country? Is it local to, you know, the region? Like what, how local do you have to get? So I think uh, when we go into life cycle assessments, usually the raw materials extraction is the biggest carbon footprint. Like I was recently doing a life cycle assessment for a toothbrush and then it was ridiculous. Like even if I made the toothbrush in China and brought it to Europe to be sold, just from the fact that it was made out of bamboo, which is a more sustainable material than plastic itself, that just gave me a huge difference in the carbon footprint. Even if the toothbrush was made in Germany to be sold in the UK. So the transportation, of course, plays a big uh, game in the carbon footprint. But I think the biggest challenge is extracting the materials because there is not enough resources for the consumption that we are demanding right now. Mm. How how do you do this? What did you call it? The calculation of... A um, life cycle assessment. Yeah. How do you do a life cycle assessment? So, I mean, there are different programs that you could use for that. So there is uh, the one I was talking about. I use, it's called CES. And there is another one called SEMA uh, Pro. But for example, going back to Ellen MacArthur Foundation, they, they just started offering a life cycle assessment tool and it's free. So, there, so there's a free tool that will help you do a life cycle assessment for your product. Yes, they help like uh, the company. Let's say, for example, I'm doing, you know, the Monquito idea. 
-hmm. So if I had more uh, data about my business, I could go there and plug in all the information. It's called Circulitex. How would you recommend that we reduce our eco footprint as toy people? Like what is the easiest thing that we, people can do right now that they're just not even trying and they're not doing? Um, well, as I mentioned before, instead of owning so many toys, perhaps we need to rethink ownership in the toy industry and start providing more of a service-based type of uh, business yeah, in the I like toy that. industry. That's, but that's a big, that's, you know, that's building a whole supply and distribution change that chain. That's a big shift. It is, yeah. <laughs> but it's the only way we can survive. Really? I mean, if we think about all that is happening, I mean, if we want to survive, we have to transform. And Ellen MacArthur Foundation recently was like, okay, is it transforming or transition? And the answer is we have to transform. We cannot transition. We don't have time to transition under the current uh, consumer demand. And so like according to the UN in mm -hmm. 2050, based on the projections that population is going to be like 9.6 billion, oh. like we will need three planets in order to no. subsidize the amount of uh, natural resources that we need, you know, to continue our current lifestyle. So it's impossible. We have to change. I wonder if there's going to be more of an opportunity because what I'm seeing now in the toy industry is things are shifting online because of COVID. And maybe this change, you know, this that stopped everybody from being able to go out and go to stores is the opportunity to make some major shift like this where we're, you know, you're ordering online a subscription service that's a little bit more controlled with how many resources it's using up to deliver you something. Um, yeah, I'm wondering if now it's now probably is actually the best time that somebody could try to introduce something completely different to the industry because, you know, now retailers are not getting as much foot traffic. Yeah, I think uh, COVID-19 is making us reevaluate our life priorities in many ways. And a lot of the market uh, research is going to prove that people are going to demand more real environmental actions versus just oh we're eco-friendly are you like i want transparency like i want to see the supply chain i want to know who is your supplier like i think it's going to continue being tougher for businesses to actually be sustainable have you ever thought about what like the ideal supply chain would look like for for a business like toys where, 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 um, the product life is very short. Like, have you ever thought about what that would look like? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Just one, just talking, just talking here. I'm not sure. Right. <laughs> I guess, I mean, I will have to, ideally we will stop consuming so much. Like ideally we should be recuperating more of our values and, I don't know, living a simpler, simpler life, you know, I think globalization hurt us a lot. <laughs> and now we think too big and we forget, oh, wait, 
what about we enjoy dinner and we enjoy the little plant we have by the window growing. <laughs> but yeah, when it comes to toys, I'm not sure how to ha make it a better supply chain. I guess it will have to go back to pick the correct materials, even though I'm not giving you a straight answer. Of course, I wish I could give you a, okay, here are three wonderful materials that every designer should consider for toys. It's more like we need to think of the life cycle, really. That's all I can think from a design perspective, right? Like, just consider where are the materials coming from? So if it's going to take too much to make this little toy, perhaps rethink, you know, what do mm -hmm. we need? And also so, just what you were saying before, there's not, there's even a demand, like too much demand for recyclable materials. So what about the biodegradable plastics that you were telling me about? So, yes, so they are bio-based and biodegradable, right? So for example, PLA, which is stands for polylactic acid. Uh, is one of them and it's like a thermoplastic it's pretty much just as if you were using pp but it's based on bio-based the problem with these plastics is that it's plant-based so it's food pretty much we're using our food to make products so oh, no it is, <laughs> yeah so it, it's based on cornstarch or tapioca roots or sugar cane so where, you know, the other plastics are based on petroleum. So, of course, I would rather have a plastic made out of cornstarch. So right. they, are, they have the potential, right, to be a better material. The problem is a lot of these biodegradable materials, they must be uh, recycled in a commercial composting facility because they, they need to have uh, control, like composting conditions so when you send it to a industrial composting facility they have the correct temperatures and the correct conditions for these plastics to actually biodegrade if you throw <laughs> them in your backyard they would take forever to biodegrade perhaps just like plastic will never biodegrade so they need high temperatures in order to actually do the whole decomposition process so you're burning more energy to keep the high temperatures to 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 uh, like give electricity to the building to the facility that has to compose them actually that's a good question i don't <laughs> know <laughs> unless it's solar powered actually i'm not sure how they control the composting uh conditions so the biodegradable plastic is really our best option if we're going to continue trying to use a plastic. Is it more expensive? I'm not sure if it's more expensive, but the problem is that I don't think we're there yet to, again, to supply our demand. The oh, problem okay. is yeah. we have to change our consumer behaviors too. Right. <laughs> we consume too much. Like, can yeah, we everything just comes stop? back to, yeah, everything <laughs> comes back to consumer. You know, the hard part is that so many companies have, they're used to making a certain amount of money every year. So if they reduce the volume that they put out and that they sell, they're going to have to increase the prices and the customers are going to have to get used to this price increase. So it's, 
I don't know. It's going to be a very, it's either going to be a very slow change or it would have to be, I think, an overnight government order that says you can only produce this much. So then all of these companies feel that they have a, um, you know, almost a reason to tell their customers like, Hey, there's now there's going to be less supply, more demand, and there and therefore our prices are going to be more expensive. But it's all happening because we're saving the planet. Like I think that's the only way that that would all change. Yeah, I mean you're talking legislation, which is right. very important. <laughs> right, <laughs> very very important for us to reach sustainability. Really, like we need the government to push for. Uh, businesses to do the correct thing it shouldn't be this way it should be the business wants to do the ethically correct (laughs) you know production but yeah legislation is always one of those things that pushes industries to go into clean technologies or improve their production practices but that's no i was gonna say that's why we go back to the conversation of can we change the concept of ownership and just come up with a new business model where we can just share those materials again? Like, how many toys don't you see in the in the? <laughs> I mean, outside the houses. You know what? I wonder if it, it actually might not be a bad idea if you change the ownership because what if it could it could open up new job opportunities? Because imagine if kids are sending their toys back when they're done. And obviously they're not going to be in perfect condition, but then maybe there's a new job market for people that like repair and fix and touch up locally toys so that they can be put back into local stores and then like resold at maybe a less price or maybe not even a less price because that's just, that's just the way things are done now. So I think that idea of like reusing could be really interesting and it might create new jobs. Yes. I love hearing you talk like that <laughs> oh yeah no it's a good idea well you know i mean high the high-end industries are doing it i have a friend who who's a watchmaker and they don't just throw out their thousand dollar watches you know they get them fixed <laughs> so yeah <laughs> so if we started looking at everything as valuable as high brand products like you know high you know uh, top brand products and we start saying even this 20 dollar doll is valuable to us as a community as a world, then it's valuable enough to fix that, you know, it's, it's worth paying for someone to fix it than it is for destroying the the world to, to make a new one. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's interesting. (laughs) I feel like I did my job with you already. No, like, oh, no yeah. That's a great idea. And you know, there are some, I, I really want to do this episode because I feel like there are some people that are new to the toy industry and they have an idea and they might be able to make something like this happen, but they, yeah. may, but, but they just need to have the idea planted. So like, that's why I wanted to have you on just to like plant the idea so that if somebody out there has a simple toy or they're just starting with an idea, they can make a system. They don't have to do it exactly the way everyone else has done it. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> I it's love good. it. It's <laughs> good. Okay. Um, all right. What my last, oh wait, no, I have a couple questions. Sorry. Sorry. I'm keeping you for so long. Um, no, okay. No, it's fine. <laughs> I've been um, waiting for this moment. <laughs> you've been waiting for this moment. This is all I want. Um, Okay. All right. I have a couple of questions. Okay. So have you ever heard of TerraCycle? Yes. Yes. Okay. So you have, <laughs> even before I told you? 
Yes. Oh, okay, good. So, I mean, just for anyone listening, TerraCycle is an innovative recycling company. Um, They've become a global leader in recycling um, hard to recycle materials. I know them because they'd started working with several toy companies um, to make them a part of their recycling program. And I think what they do is they have the toy companies write um, something either on the back, back of the box or the bottom of the box about sending your product into TerraCycle when you're done with it um, so that they can recycle it. So what do you think about, you know, is this action enough? I mean, it's not enough, but okay. it is the right direction. Okay. I mean, they're amazing. And, yeah. And they have brought a lot of innovation and, you know, it's a new business model. So I love them, but again, we should consider more than just the product and end of life, which is the recycling, really. Again, recycling is an end of pipe technology, the last resource. So don't think of recycle as a great thing. Actually, try to avoid getting to the recycling part. Continue challenging yourself. Okay, then what? And then what? And then what? before you go into and then we recycle the toy so why do you love TerraCycle so much like what is it because they were one of the pioneers on this whole you know packaging and recuperating the materials and recycling them so they are really good they have great ideas and I think they're getting traction globally. So actually, now that you've mentioned packaging, do you, do you ever look at, um, packaging and think like, oh, they could just be do, they could be saving a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. I mean, packaging is a big problem and, and there is a lot of, uh, initiatives globally. Like there is an important commitment happening. It's called the new plastics economy and is by the UN, um, the UN and Ellen MacArthur. They, you know, put energies together to come up with this uh, commitment. And it's about like reducing the packaging carbon footprint. But just, well, first they are committing. So people start using recycled materials in the packaging as well as reducing the plastic. So, yes, of course, we can always work with packaging. And one of an interesting company that you can think of innovative materials is called Ecovative. It's E-C-O-V-A-T-I-V-E. Oh, I see. Ecovative design. Oh, it's New York based. Okay, New York. And they make uh, compostable materials. They are made out of mycelium. And so it can be composed even at home because, you know, they are actually biodegradable materials. So there are solutions into also packaging because there's another carbon footprint. Like, again, talking about life cycle, the the life cycle of packaging is even shorter than your product. Yeah. Because you just got home yeah. and you throw it away. Right. <laughs> so it's bigger impact, of course. How important do you think that it is to convey the importance of recycling to your end consumer and honestly, just to children? Like how important do you think it is to convey? And and also I feel, I don't know, tell me if you agree with this. I feel like the recycling imagery is not even big enough. Like it's not obvious enough that you should be recycling this. Definitely. Like right? that's a big problem. Like 
you get a, I mean, just think of the products you have at home. You don't mm -hmm. even know what plastic they're made of. Right. So how do you even know if you can send them to the recycling center? Exactly. It's a big challenge. So yeah, I think it's important definitely to communicate that in the packaging. Okay, this package is recyclable. So and please. Here's how. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> here's how. That's yeah. important. I mean, Something. I live in New York, so they for you know everyone's forced to kind of recycle. But I feel when I didn't live in New York, I didn't really know where to go before. I mean, now more more places have the bins, but um, you don't know if you don't know how to do it, then you just end up throwing things away. Yeah, <laughs> mm -hmm. it is pretty sad. It's true, mm -hmm. and I don't know something that I have liked about the UK so far is like their packaging have certain label. And it says like widely recycle or not recycled yet or it tells you a Wait, what's that mean? Like it is actually easy to recycle. So widely oh. widely recycle, meaning like most of the facilities will recycle it because that's the other problem with recycling, right? So it's each area has its own materials that they recycle and the ones that they don't. So it's insane. Like we don't even have a, a system that tells us, oh, yeah, yeah, put all the, you know, number one in the bin because we will always take it. I mean, yeah, I'm thinking, uh, that's weird. How, can you find that out? Like where those those facilities are and what they take? Uh, I believe for each area, if you go into the website, they mm -hmm. should tell you which materials they actually take. Interesting. But, I mean, it's it's insane. I mean, recycling is a difficult thing. That's why you're saying about. you don't even want to have to go there, right? Yeah. That's why you're like you don't even want to get to recycling. You want to do something before that. Yeah, because we're not ready for it. We, our system is not designed for it, really. It's so not. I mean, I'm taking from this like one. I mean, right now you know, if you're going to make a change, it has to be slow if you're already have a toy company. Right. But what I'm getting from this is one, maybe instead of trying to tout that you have an eco-friendly product, maybe actually give something back to help build more recycling plants. If that's, if that's a possibility, if there's somewhere to donate for that, and then two, start to slowly, um, shift and give options to reuse your product or re-gift your product when you're done with it. Okay. So this is great. I, I wonder if you could um, possibly give us a visual of how big of an impact a small change um, to recycling um, could make on the health of our planet. Let's say if we, you know, let's say if we recycle like double, like 18% or something, or if we, um, how much would we have to cut down our consumerism in order to make it to, you know, 2,100, you know, <laughs> like that's <laughs> like, well, I don't have like a specific amount, but I would say that recycling will help us to stop extracting natural resources at a rate that the planet cannot handle. So if we're recycling, uh, we're moving towards a better sustainable world. And so it will help us save energy, our natural resources, and also, you know, it will reduce greenhouse emissions because when you recycle, you're also reducing how many gas emissions you're doing. So it will help us address our climate change emergency. And there is one interesting 
uh, number that I found is that according to the Global Recycling Foundation, uh, recyclable saves over 700 million tons in CO2 emissions each year. And that's with the little percentage that I tell you we recycle worldwide. So just imagine if we actually implemented better like practices, we would save even more and perhaps make a big difference. Wow. Thank you. Oh, this is a great conversation. I think I learned so much and I think my <laughs> listeners will too. Good. <laughs> Thank <I'm glad>. you. <laughs> yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, I did very much. Is there anything else you want to share about, I don't know, just anything you have going on if you want, um, um, if you want to lead us to, I don't know, your website for your business, if you have one yet, or maybe, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not there yet. <laughs> not there yet. Okay. We're still in development. Still yeah, in development. I'm trying to graduate first. <laughs> right. Okay. That's important. Do that first. Yeah. But um, I could, if you want, link everyone to your LinkedIn, if you want people to connect with you there. Yeah. Sounds great. Okay. That sounds mm-hmm. good. Okay. So everyone can connect with Leticia on LinkedIn. Um, and then maybe when her business is up and running, you can check that out. Uh, good luck with that. And we're also, I'm going to put in all of the links to all of the places you mentioned, like Ecovative Design, Ellen, mm-hmm. Ellen MacArthur Foundation, Lifecycle Assessment, um, Designing for a Circular Economy. There's a whole bunch of great resources. Um, and thank you so much for taking the time to do this call. I know you've got a dissertation to write, Leticia. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a great distraction. <laughs> no, it's terrible. I don't want to be a part of that. Go get your, go get your master's. Oh, man. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this frequently listener requested episode all about sustainability with a focus on the toy industry. I have been receiving emails and requests for an episode about sustainability since this podcast began. So I'm really happy to have found Leticia and been able to have her as a guest on the show today to share with us a new perspective on sustainability. Now, instead of seeking out recyclable or recycled materials for our products, we can make a much needed, much larger impact by designing toy businesses that follow the concept of a circular economy. We have to start problem solving how we can create toy products that have a second and a third life before they're meant to be broken down and recycled or, you know, even worse, end up in a landfill. We have to innovate our designs to reduce waste in manufacturing, transportation, and we've got to reevaluate the concept of product ownership and consider collaborations as necessary as purchase orders. We have to problem solve how we can build natural systems that are inherently renewable into our toy development process. And since so many of my listeners are aspiring toy entrepreneurs and inventors, I would be really proud if this episode could inspire you to innovate the standard toy company's business model and instead of just innovating the products that it sells. Now, I don't often give a sneak peek into next week's episode, 
But today is a special day because next week I'm going to be featuring a children's company founded by a mompreneur that thrives on a sustainable, circular-based business model, much like we were talking about today. My hope is that these two episodes back-to-back will get your creative juices flowing, toy people, so that we can be a better industry for our planet. Okay? It's time for another listener spotlight, and today's review is from Dr. Robin Koslowitz. Dr. Koslowitz says, I stumbled upon making it in the toy industry when I was assigned to cover Toy Fair by a print publication, and I was doing some background research. If you're ever going to visit Toy Fair, Ajel's episode about Toy Fair are a must-listen. Once I listened to one episode, I was hooked. Even though I'm not a toy inventor yet, Ajel makes it sound so possible, I might just put my thinking cap on and try. I find her guidance invaluable for many areas of business and entrepreneurship. She also has a very engaging presentation style, a great voice, and a really entertaining but crystal clear way of explaining things. This is one of my favorite podcasts. Thank you so much for that awesome review, Dr. Kozlowitz. I remember seeing it come through on my phone and it put a huge smile on my face. Please, if you haven't already and you love this podcast, leave me a review and let me know what you loved about the latest episode. I love to hear it and your review might be read on the next show. As always, thank you so much for showing up with me here today. I know there are a ton of podcasts out there, so it means the world to me that you listen to this one. Until next week, I'll see you later, toy people. Thanks for listening to Making It in the Toy Industry podcast with Ajel Wade. Head over to thetoycoach.com for more information, tips, and advice. Hey, are you an aspiring toy inventor or toy entrepreneur? Then you should check out Toy Creators Academy, the first of its kind online program designed to help you develop and pitch your toy ideas. Head over to toycreatorsacademy.com to learn more.